so good to be back with you here today. If it's your first time, uh, my name is Eric Hovis. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and we planted here uh, a couple years ago with the vision to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. You know, we, we want to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this past week, we, uh, we, re- we received back our very first mission trip that was sent out to the Dominican Republic. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, we're going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is just our very first step in that direction. We've got another trip lined up coming, uh, so we're excited. We want to see this done over and over and over again to see uh, the gospel made great among the nations. Um, And so today and next week, uh, y'all, we are landing the plane in uh, the Upper Room series and and also the book of John. We, We... finished it at Easter, and now we kind of came back to this Upper Room series. You know, we spent the past 11 months in this book. Uh, we, we studied the first 11 chapters of John, seeing Jesus' first three years of ministry, and then the back half of it, this was, it's the last week of his ministry. And half of that was this one teaching, uh, the Upper Room, that we've seen in the Upper Room that we've been in all summer long. And today and next week, we're going to be in John 17, which is Jesus' final prayer before his death. It's like his concluding prayer. And this prayer has been called the Holy of Holies of, of sacred scriptures by many. Like this prayer that we're going to be in this week and next week, y'all, this, this prayer is a really big deal. And so we're going to dive into this special prayer uh, to end the book of John. Uh, and then next, after that, we're going to do a bit of an encore to the book of John. Uh, we're going to go in 1 John, which is a short letter by the same author. We're going to spend uh, four weeks focusing on the DNA of what New City Church is all about, looking at our core values. And we're going to use the book of 1 John, the author who wrote the book of John, uh, to do that. And so if you're new to our church, I think this uh, four-week series will be really helpful for you to get kind of a peek behind the curtain of what we're all about. Uh, And then in September, uh, we're going to totally shift gears uh, to go into the Old Testament. And we're going to walk through the book of Joshua for about 12 weeks. And y'all, I am so excited. Yeah, praise the Lord. I love the book of Joshua. I'm so excited. I'm excited for both of these series. This is going to be so good for us. But today, we're looking at Jesus' final prayer uh, that he prays for both us and also for his people, which uh, includes us. Like he prays for himself, and he prays for us today, which leads us to our very simple main idea. Jesus prays for himself and for his people. And out of everything that we'll see today and next week, uh, this is what we'll see. Jesus praying. And so we're going to pick apart uh, what Jesus says in this final prayer for both himself and also for those who profess faith, which gives us two really simple uh, points. Jesus prays for himself. Uh, and number two, Jesus prays for his people. We're going to have a couple subpoints in there along the way. Uh, but today we're going to stop at verse 19, and then we're going to finish verse 26 through 26 next week. And we're going to focus next week on one specific point of the prayer that is more emphasized than the others, which is the unity of his people, the unity of the church. And so that's next week, which I think also will be really good for us and kind of prime the pump for us a bit as we head into the fall semester looking at our DNA series in 1 John. But today we're going to see several different things that Jesus prays for, and as we look at this prayer that is often called the high priestly prayer, showing Jesus as the great high priest, showing that he prays for us and that he intercedes for us to God on behalf of his people, I think we'll see that there are many ways that this prayer should encourage us. Like this prayer, in many ways, it teaches us how to pray. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. But the one thing I want to, I'm going to really emphasize the most is that this prayer gives us some great insight to the des- desires that God has for us. 
This prayer shows us very plainly what is God's will and desire for our life. Like That's one of the most frequently asked questions, right, that we ask. God, what is your will for my life? Like go to any conference, go to any Christian seminar, uh, and the, ti- the, the talk that is titled God's Will for My Life, it's almost always packed out. And if I were teaching that seminar, I think John 17 would be where I would start. So is anybody there today? Like wondering, okay, God, uh, what have you called me to? What do you want for my life? And I think we can all relate to this question at some point. We have all asked this question. And if that's you today, I've got really good news for you because we've got answers for you. By the time we end this sermon, we will all know very clearly God's desire for our life. Like what God wants us to focus on in our life. And I say that with confidence because in John 17, his last and final prayer for his people, it's put on display. Like the last few things that he really wants for his people, it's revealed. Jesus is pleading to God for these things for us. Like, these are the things that Jesus really wants for our life. And so this passage is pretty important. As I said earlier, John 17 is considered by many to be sacred ground within our sacred scriptures because it's Jesus' prayer for every Christian that has ever walked this earth, which again, it includes you and me, if we profess faith in Christ. And we ask the big life question, what is God's will for my life? Y'all, again, John 17, it's an excellent place to start. And I get it. Most of the time when we ask that question, God, what's your will for my life? It's typically a vocation question. We ask, what am I supposed to do for work or for my career? What am I supposed to do for the rest of my life, uh, my career? But as we look at the landscape of the Bible, that question is not really answered for each of us individually. But what is answered and what Jesus addresses in John 17, it's way bigger than that. Because what Jesus shows us and how he prays for us, it transcends all all of life, no matter what we do. Yes, God cares about our career and what we do for work and our our ambitions and careers. But even more than that, he cares more about who we are in them. So the question we need to be asking that is way more important than what do I want to do with my life, the more important question is who do we want to become? Like the biggest question is not what do I want to uh, do or uh, what do I want to accomplish or what do I want to gain, but rather the more important question is who am I becoming? We could say it this way, God's will for our life doesn't start with what we will accomplish, but who we will become. Like what type of person is God making us into? Again, career ambitions, these are good things, but if those ambitions, if they don't fuel who we want to become, we're going in the wrong direction. And so what is God's will for our life? Well, we can start to answer that question by looking at Jesus, how Jesus prays for us. And just as a side note before we dive into John 17, one of the most comforting truths, just in my own personal opinion, is that Jesus right now is our great high priest. Like the scriptures tell us that Jesus is sitting next to God the Father and he is praying for us on our behalf. Like God's own son that he entrusted with the salvation of the world is sitting next to God and he is pleading to him for us. And if we're ever wondering what Jesus is praying for us on our behalf, uh, again, John 17 will give us some really good insights. Yes, I'm sure he's he's praying more than John 17, but John 17 is the foundation. It will give us a really good jump start of how Jesus still today is praying for us. So let's go ahead and look at John 17. We're going to look at the first five verses, and we'll get to our first point. Look at verse 1 in John 17. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so there's a lot there. But the first thing that Jesus prays for that I want us to see is that Jesus prays for himself. Like, leading us to number one, Jesus prays for himself. But what does he pray for? Jesus prays for his own glory. And you know, it's really good for us and the world that Jesus does pray for his own glory. And so, in fact, if we miss this part, if we miss that question of what what is God's will for my life, it can't be accomplished. It won't happen if Jesus doesn't pray for his own glory. And as Jesus is praying this, praying for his own glory, Jesus knows what's ahead of him. Jesus knows that he's about to be tortured and die on the cross, and he also knows that he will be raised from the dead. Like, that's a really important thing in Christianity. If If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, this whole thing, it's all a big lie. But yet his death, through his death and resurrection, uh, Jesus is glorified. And I get this, and and, and I I want to take a bit of a rabbit trail for a second. Because even though Jesus already knows it will happen, that he will be glorified, because he knows everything, he still prays for it. Like Jesus prays for his own glory because he knows that it's up to God to give him glory. And And he's still asked. You know, four times in this upper room teaching, Jesus has called his people to pray and to come to God in prayer in his name. And here, Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to pray. And Jesus, even Jesus himself, who's God, who knows all things and has been given all power over all things, even Jesus himself prays to God, which I think shows us that prayer is way more than only making requests to God and hoping that he will answer our prayers. Like, prayer is way more than treating God like a magic genie that we come to when we really want something. No, prayer is an intimate communication with God. Intimate communication with God. I mean, think about this. If I only came to my wife and only made requests and our relationship was entirely based on requests, we wouldn't have the best relationship. Do we make requests and ask to God? Yes, of course. But prayer is also more than that. Prayer is an intimate connection with God. Church, it's, this is so important for us. So let's ask, how do we pray? Like, is it only filled with making requests, or is it also filled with just like an intimate talking with God, communicating with God? And when we look at this prayer, as we uh, get to our first point, we need to ask, how does Jesus pray? And what does he pray for? Look back again at verse 1. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And then again, down in verse 5, he said, Father, glorify me in your own presence and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, Jesus prays for his own glory, but he also prays for God's glory. Jesus prayed for God's glory. So Jesus knows that both his glory and God's glory, they're mutually important. Like there is a mutual relationship of shared glory between Jesus and God. And maybe we're thinking, tempted to think, well, it sure does seem a little selfish for Jesus to pray for his own glory, but I want to show you why this is so good for us, and why it's also good for God that Jesus prays for his own glory. Let's just follow this for a second. 
Because just think about this. If Jesus didn't pray for his own glory or for his own fame, uh, and he in turn prayed for someone else's fame and glory, well, first, I think it would just be idolatry, because, and that's not good. But even more than that, taking it a step further, if Jesus did not pray for his own glory, then you and I, we would have no chance for eternal life or for any sort of redemption or help from God. We would have no way to have an intimate communication with God in prayer. If Jesus didn't pray for his own glory, then God's entire purpose for sending Jesus would have gone off the rails and it would not have happened. And so, yes, Jesus prays for his own glory, but he prays for his own glory, not strictly for himself, but for God's glory and also for our good. And so we need to ask, how was Jesus glorified? Again, he was glorified and exalted through his death and resurrection. This is what Jesus shows us in our text. Look back at verses 1 through 3 again. Jesus says, Father, the hours come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Look what it says uh, in verses 2 and 3. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Jesus is glorified when his people gain eternal life. And how do we gain eternal life? Well, the scriptures tell us when we believe in Jesus. The scriptures tell us that when we believe in the gospel and Jesus' glory that was shown at the cross. Like Jesus was glorified by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And when Jesus did that, he took the penalty of sin, he took the power of sin, and he, we have a promise that one day he will finally take the presence of sin. Church, this is really good news that Jesus prayed for his own glory. If Jesus was not glorified at the cross, we are still in our sins and we have no power over our sin. If Jesus was not glorified at the cross, you and me, we have no hope for eternal life and we have no way for eternal peace and joy. If Jesus was not glorified at the cross, then our purpose in this life is totally misdirected. And God's will for our life, it's not possible because, but because Jesus was glorified at the cross, we have hope and we have answers. And so church, Jesus praying for his own glory, it's not selfish, it's what we need. It's how the penalty of our sin is paid in full. You know, if he didn't pray for his own glory, we would have no fighting chance. Maybe we could say, <laughs> it would be like LeBron James or Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Like if he just decided not to show up uh, to ball with the Toon Squad. And they had to play against the Monstars all on their own. They wouldn't have a fighting chance. Jesus is not praying for his own glory. It, it, Jesus is not praying for his own glory. It would be like someone out in the ocean that sees a ton of people drowning, screaming for help, begging and pleading for someone to save them. And that person just so happens to have life jackets, all the life jackets necessary to save them, and enough room in the boat for all of them as they're, as they're pleading for help. And then this person just saying, nah, they've got this. I don't want the glory to save all these people and then just keep driving. No, that would be crazy. Jesus prays for his own glory, and it's really, really good that he does this. As we look at this, there's a few uh, things of what I want to point out as a means of application for us. And the first thing I want to point out is that letter, it, uh, our first subpoint: placing our faith in Jesus is the first step to following God's will for our life. Like, if we miss this, we are outside of God's plan for our life. Like, God's desire for all people all over the world is to come to faith in Jesus. And if we look past this and miss this, we are outside of God's desire for our life. And so if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Jesus and handed over your life to him, I want to call you to do that. If you're not sure, 
and you want, and you want to be sure, say to God very simply, Jesus, I believe in you. Like, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead, and I want to hand over my life to you. Like, it's that simple. Like, that's the first step in discerning God's will. We hand our life to Jesus. But then secondly, this reminds us, letter B, our life is not for our glory, but God's glory. Again, if you're curious to know the will of God for your life, this is the foundation. Our life is for God's glory, not our own glory. Like, if we're seeking to know God's will for our life, and it doesn't start with God's glory, we're going in the wrong direction. Like, we've already totally missed it. If we start with vocation or marriage or a hobby or family or money or possessions or anything else, we've taken the wrong first step. Again, the first step, the foundation for God's will for our life, it always begins with God's glory and not our own. You know, this is God's world. We're just living in it. We're not the main character of our life. No, God is the main character of our life. New City, this is foundational for everything we do. Foundational for how we make decisions, for how we use our finances, how we enter into relationships, how we think about our jobs and our families. We always begin with God's glory and not our own. And so if you're wondering what to do for the rest of your life, (laughs) what God's will is for your life, know that it begins with this. Make great the name of Jesus. Like glorify Jesus. This is God's will for your life. The Christian life is a life that makes a really big deal about Jesus. But then something I also just want to point out here, just kind of the other side of this coin, the same coin, that let us see, it's okay to pray for ourselves. Like when we hear something as strong and as passionate as our life is about God's glory and not our own glory, and we hear about the Christian life is about denying ourselves, which it totally is, we can sometimes take it too far and think we ignore ourselves. And y'all, that's not the case. Y'all, this is just a matter of getting the priorities in order. Our life is first about God. We place others above ourselves. And then thirdly, yes, our own joy and happiness and our desires, they absolutely matter to God. God cares about our hearts and souls. He wants to hear our prayers. Yes, we exalt God in prayer. But I want us to just take note here that even Jesus prayed for himself. And I say that knowing that most of this prayer in John 17 is not for himself. Most of Jesus' prayer is for others. He's praying for God's glory. He's praying for us. Again, it's, not an, is- it's an issue of priority. It's an issue of order. What often happens is that our desires for our life, they often get placed above God's desires for our life. But let's keep going. Look starting in verse 6. Look at the next three verses. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that you know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus here in his prayer is, is not, he's not asking anything, he's not making requests, he's simply just reporting to God. Like, God already knows all these things. Jesus is simply just talking to God. He's communicating with God. That's prayer. But Jesus is still speaking to God. And here, and throughout the rest of the chapter, Jesus shifts from praying for himself to then, number two, Jesus prays for his people. In verse 6, he tells God the Father that he has made God's name known to the people whom God gave him, showing us here today that if we know Jesus, this tells us that God gave us to Jesus Like God rescued us by making Jesus known to us. We didn't rescue ourselves. No, God rescued us. 
And then in verse 7 and 8, Jesus uh, tells God that he, is, uh, that he has revealed to his people that everything that Jesus has is God's, that God and Jesus are one, and that Jesus was sent by God, and that he's given us God's word. And I know there's a lot in what I just said. But what I want to emphasize for us is that when Jesus prays, letter A, Jesus prays truth. Jesus prays what is true. I mean, think about what this. Think about this. Jesus tells God everything that God already knows. Like he's simply proclaiming to God what God has like what what God has told him to do. And when we think about how Jesus prays, again, we can learn from this specifically in how to pray. You know, one of the single best prayers we can pray are God's words back to himself. Praying the Bible, it's a surefire way to be confident we are praying what is true. Like it's an act of worship, and it also changes our hearts. It changes us. In order for us to know the will of God for our life and to know what glorifies God, we have to know the truth. We have to know what glorifies God and what doesn't. And when we pray truth, the scriptures, and meditate on them and chew on it and let it get into our souls, God begins to change our desires. Because when we pray for things, we begin to want to see those prayers answered. When we beg God in prayer, praying for what is true, God slowly, day after day, week after week, year after year, slowly changes our hearts and desires to match His. This is one of the many ways I've personally been trying to grow in my prayer life. Just like writing out prayers from the Psalms. Praying them out loud. Praying that I would believe them to be true. Like this is what Jesus says to God in verse 8. Jesus said uh, His people received His word and they believed them as true. And so when we pray, Jesus teaches us here to pray what is true. But we would also believe His word to be true. And we saw just that. Jesus prayed that his people would believe that God sent him. Jesus prayed that his people would believe what is true. Again, this is God's will for our life, to know and to believe what is true about God. And so if you want to know the will of God, study the word and pray the word. Like, that's God's will for your life. Now, let's keep going. Look at verse 9 and 10. He's proclaiming more truth. He says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, I, and I am glorified in them. So how good is that? Jesus says, I am praying for them. But it's interesting because he then adds and emphasizes and says, I'm not praying for the world. No, he's praying for all those whom God gave Jesus. That's what it says. Jesus is praying for believers, not unbelievers. And Christian, that's so good. That's such good news. Like, th this is true for us even today. Jesus says, saying this prayer was not just for the disciples back then, but for all those who believe in him at all times throughout history. Like, this prayer, new city from Jesus, is for us. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus said this prayer, like, we were on his heart and mind. And Christian, listen to this. Like, the God of the universe who created the world is praying for you. Like, hear that. In your temptation, Jesus is praying for you. In your sorrow, Jesus is praying for you. In your doubt and unbelief, Jesus is crying out to God for you on your behalf. Don't lose sight of the personal nature that Jesus has for each of us. Like, Jesus is intimately pursuing each of us. Jesus longs to be with us. Jesus longs to sit and speak with us. Jesus wants what's best for us. And we cannot miss the importance of this because Jesus, he is knocking on the door of our hearts each day, calling for us to come to him and just to delight in him. And we're not speaking to him, and when we're doubting, and when he's not on our hearts, guess what? We're still on God's. 
we're still on his heart. He's still praying for us, and he's still interceding for us. But again, notice in stark contrast who Jesus is not praying for. And this isn't popular, and people don't like this. This is what it says. Jesus says in verse 9, he's not praying for the world. Jesus is not praying for those who don't proclaim Jesus as Lord. No, Jesus only prays as the great high priest for those who proclaim him as God. Yes, Jesus loves the entire world. Jesus loves every person on the planet. Yes, every person is an image bearer, but Jesus only prays for those as the great high priest who call him Lord. And for the Christian, this should be seen as a privilege, but for the person who isn't a Christian, like this is really hard, sad reality. And yet another reason for us to call out to Jesus and to believe in him today, when we believe in Jesus, he prays for us. Again, Jesus prays for his people. Look at verses 11 to 15, the next five verses. Jesus says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have, they, they, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's a lot in what I just read. But I'm going to kind of zip back through this at a high level for about 30 seconds, and then I'm going to emphasize something in this next point. Jesus acknowledges to God that the, the life that he, that he knows that he's leaving, that he's going to go be with God. Jesus says in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And then he says in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. He said, I guarded them, and the only one that was lost was the one that God sent out to be lost, to, uh, to be fulfilled, which we now know is Judas. And then in verse 13, Jesus prays for their joy to be fulfilled. You know, how sweet is that? Like that, that reminds us of the goodness and kindness of God. Yes, we're called to a life that glorifies God. We're called to pick up our cross and to deny ourselves, but it's not so that we'll be joyless our entire life. No, Jesus desires joy for each of us. While also knowing as we see in contrast, verse 14, that his people will be hated by the world. Like, we've already talked about this. But joy comes with it. He says in verse 15 that he's not asking God to take us out of the world, but he's asking that God protect his people from the evil one. Showing us what I want to emphasize here is that in all of this, to be, Jesus prays for our protection. It's if you want to know what Jesus is praying for you about as a follower of Christ, he is praying for your protection from the enemy. Jesus knows that the enemy is real and strong and that he is seeking to devour and to destroy. Jesus knows that the devil will speak lies into our minds, that the enemy will seek to kill our relationships and to destroy our witness. Jesus knows that the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And what does he promise us he will do? He promises us as one of many things that he will pray for our protection. Jesus promises that he will pray to God, that, we will, that he will plead to God who is all good and wise and sovereign for our protection from the evil one, which I think should be so comforting for us. Like, does this, nev- this mean we'll never uh, believe, never sin again, and never believe the, the lies the enemy whispers to us? No, not at all. But do you know what it does mean for us? It means that God recognizes the war that we're in. It means that God knows what's going on in our hearts and minds. And it means that God is not absent from us. 
that God cares for us. And he knows it all. He sees everything. And Jesus, he is pleading to God for our protection. No, we can trust that God in his good and sovereign plan will work in us and through us and that God will not leave us to be totally destroyed by the enemy. If we are in Christ, we have a great protector. When Jesus prays for our protection, Jesus recognizes that it will be bumpy and turbulent and a messy ride. But in all of the mess, we can trust that Jesus is with us as our anchor, holding on to us, and he will not let us go. And do you know what Jesus tells us that he left us with as a means for protection? He left us with his word. Jesus said, I am leaving them and I have guarded them. But now in verse 14, as a means of hope, he said, I've left them with your word. Church, we see this all over the New Testament. The word of God, it's a means for our protection. It's what God has left us with as a means to be protected from the enemy. Like being in the Word of God, studying it and memorizing it and meditating on it and praying it. This is what God has entrusted to us and given to us as one of our means for protection. It keeps us anchored. It reminds us what is true. We have to think, why would God give us His Word as a means to protect us from the enemy? Like if I were God, maybe I'd give something else in my unwise move. God's way smarter than me. He knows what's best for us. And so why does God give his word to protect us? Because let's think about this. How does the enemy work? What does the enemy do? The enemy speaks lies to us. The devil is a liar. He does not speak what is true. No, the devil is a liar. And how do we defend ourselves from lies? We soak ourselves in what is true. We soak ourselves in the truth of God's word and we pray it and we meditate on it and we memorize it. Christian, one of the single greatest spiritual disciplines we can have is to be in the word day in and day out, soaking ourselves in the true words of God. And so if you want to know the will of God for your life is to be consumed with his word. If we're trying to discern the will of God for our life and we're not regularly in the word, we're going in the wrong direction. What is more important than trying to figure out our career and where to live and who our spouse will be, what God desires for us more than all of those things is for us to be consumed with his word. Does God care about those other things? Absolutely, yes. God knows the desires of our heart. He sees them. But if we neglect the word for our career ambitions or friendships or relationship goals, we've totally missed the will of God for our life. Y'all, the reason we put so much emphasis on teaching through the Bible here at New City going verse by verse, trying to expose the text, is so that we would know the word. If all I do is get up here and tell a bunch of stories and try to wow you with some sort of human speech and sprinkle a few verses on top of it, I really don't think I'm pastoring you well. Because the word of God is our protection and not my words. The word guides us and directs us and protects us from the enemy. So what does Jesus pray? He prays truth. He prays for our protection. And then to see our last two sub-points, Let's read these last four verses, starting in verse 16. They're not, out of, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. So Jesus said in verse 16, we're not of this world. He says, sanctify them in the truth. And then again in verse 19, he prays the second time again, that we would be sanctified in the truth, showing us to see Jesus prays for our sanctification. I know that's a big fancy Bible word, okay? Sanctification. 
but the Bible uses it, and so we use it. And it basically means Jesus is praying that we would be more holy. Jesus is praying that we would be more like him, that we would sin less and less. And we see in these verses, in what we just read, that Jesus prays this for us. And so if we're wondering what Jesus' desire is for us, what his will for our life is, so far we've seen his desire is for us to glorify Jesus, to know what is true, to be protected from the enemy, and now to be more like Jesus, to be sanctified. So how do we become more like Jesus? How do we grow in our sanctification and holiness? Well, Jesus says in verse 17, we're sanctified in the truth, that his word, the Bible, is truth. Taking us right back to our last point. We become more like Jesus by being in his word. I think we see a bit of a theme here. The word of God is powerful. It's our source of life that directs us. It points us to Jesus. It orients our life. God created the world with his words. He gave us life and joy and peace with his words. And he changes us by his words. And it's not just by the word that we're sanctified, but he also adds in verse 19 that Jesus is consecrated so that we would be sanctified, which sounds like a lot of Bible gibberish uh, and words we don't normally use. So let me translate that for us. Jesus was glorified and sent to the cross and gave up his life to die so that our lives could be changed. Jesus' consecration, his death, burial, and resurrection gave us a way to be sanctified, to become more like Jesus. In essence, Jesus died on the cross and gave up his life so that we could be transformed into his image. Jesus was consecrated for our sanctification. Jesus died so that we could find true life. So again, how do we become more like Jesus? Through the, it's through the words of God, through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit that is made available to us through believing in Jesus, which takes us right back to God's will for our life. God's will for our life is to glorify God, to be in his word, and to be transformed by his word. And y'all, this is so important for us. Because you know what Jesus uh, didn't pray for us in John 17? Jesus did not pray, God, would you make them really comfortable? God, would you give them all boats and houses on the beach and unlimited resources? No, he didn't pray that for us. He didn't pray, give them the best job possible. He didn't pray to give them a spouse. He didn't pray that his people would love their work. He didn't pray that they'd all make good grades and have full bank accounts. No, he first said, sanctify them in the truth and make them more holy. Now again, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't love to give his people blessings and good gifts because he absolutely does. But what Jesus prayed for right before his death as a means of showing what's most important was that his people would glorify God, be protected from the enemy, and to become more like Jesus. And you know what he also prays for us? He also prays that his people would be unified. We'll get that to that next week. And then lastly for today, look at verse 18. Jesus prayed, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus knows that he was different than the world. But yet God sent him into the world with a purpose. And the purpose was to draw people back to himself. The purpose of Jesus coming into the world was for the redemption of the world. Jesus was sent into the world for people to find forgiveness of sin and to be reunited with God and to live with purpose and passion, worshiping God. And Jesus says to God, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Well, this is not an optional thing for Christians. If we proclaim Jesus, this is what comes with it. We're sent into the world by Jesus, showing us our last point, 2D. Jesus prays for our mission. Like, this is what Jesus prayed to God, saying, I have sent them into the world. Like, church, this is the will of God for our life. 
We are sent into the world by Jesus to glorify his name and to be used by God to awaken others around us to Jesus. You know, the will of God for our life is to join God in his mission. Christian, the absolute will of God for your life is to be in the word, to pray the word, to delight in the word, to flee from the enemy, to run to Jesus, and to become more like him. And in the process, while we're doing that, inviting others to come and join us. New City pursuing Jesus and building his kingdom is the will of God for our life. And so if you're wondering what to do with your life today, do whatever you love to do, but do it where you can prioritize holiness in the word of God and the mission of God. And if you want to know the will for your relationships, it's your holiness. It's devotion to Jesus. That's the will of God for our relationships. Y'all, we can like so overcomplicate the Christian life. We can make church so complicated. We can make life and ministry so complicated. We can overcomplicate the trajectory of our life. And y'all, I'm, about, I'm all about goals. Like five-year plans, 15-year plans, I love them. I dream all the time about the future. They're, and I think they're good and right for us to do, to have. But I say that while knowing what is way more important five years from now is that we are more like Jesus then than we are right now. That we love his word more in 15 years than we do right now. That, that I love, we love his church and his mission and his truth more in 20 years than we do right now. You know, we can dream. I dream all the time for our church, all sorts of big, crazy, fun dreams. But at the end of the day, if we don't love Jesus more and we aren't more like Jesus and if we don't love his word and his people and his mission more than we do now, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Why? Because this is what Jesus prays for us. This is Jesus' desire for us. I want to end with this. This is a really simple means of application. My prayer for each of us is that we would each daily have an unhurried time in the Word. Yeah. Now, we've been saying this all year long. Like, if this is not a regular discipline in your life, I want to encourage you just to get a few other people and just encourage one another just to be in the Word. If you've never done this, never been in the Word on a consistent maybe day basis, maybe just take a 10-day challenge, 10 verses, 10 minutes, for 10 days. Read it. Read it again. Think through it. Pray through it. Maybe just start with the book of Philippians. Y'all, D groups, our D groups, our discipleship groups, this would be great for this. If you already have the daily habit, then just ask someone to join you in it. If you want to do more, do more. But the point is not the time or how many verses we do. The point is to let God's word uh, come into our life and to be changed by it. Just to commune with God. Pray the words back to God. Why? Because this is God's will for our life. To seek God's glory, to know the truth, to be in the word, to be changed by the word, and to join God in his mission. And guess what? While we're doing this, Jesus is praying for his own glory. And he's also pleading for us in the process. Let's pray. God, as we sang earlier, you are so good for us. Your word never comes back void. We can sit under it. We can be encouraged by it. And God, your word and your truth, it changes us. So God, we just pray that as a people, as the body of Christ, we would just encourage one another and exhort one another just to be transformed uh, more into your image. God, we, we love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.